Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 26 of the Showbound podcast presented by Axel Watches. I'm your host, Michael Raskin, here alongside Ethan Cardwell. Cards, what's going on, man? No much, bro. Um, I actually was grinding some school before this. We were on a little bit late. I missed. I was probably 10 minutes late for Rask. But, yeah, no, I've been grinding school because I did this online course. So I, got, I was given six months to finish, and I'm coming up on my last month here um i think it ends in may so it's gonna be a grind for me to uh hammer this course out so i've been uh, actually bearing down on my schoolwork a bit wow look at that dude mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> good for you cards I'm, I'm yeah, i got proud. i got two of them too so i've been pretty busy actually wow well i'm actually starting school again bro my master's in may 6th i got a full course load so i'm gonna be on the grind that's so, that's brutal i feel i feel bad for you <laughs> i know but there's no summer anyway in ontario so it doesn't really matter <laughs> yeah legit at this point <laughs> um okay we got a big episode this week we got two guests first we got ryan suzuki you guys know who he is we had him on before just a little bit of a catch-up with him because there's been a lot going on lately with him he's playing for the chicago wolves in the ahl and uh, we got marty williamson who's He's my mentor, someone I've worked with for years. He's the acting general manager of the Barry Colts and the head coach of the Brock University Badgers men's hockey team. A lot of insight on the OHL with him. Very good interview, cool stories, uh, and an inside look from a coach's perspective, which we haven't had yet on the Showbound podcast. So that's something I'm excited. Cards and I are both excited to bring to you guys. But um, Cards, funny one I just want to bring up before we kind of get it going into the interviews. I know we talked about it before, but our boy, Arthur Seelovs, I told a funny story about him on the pod a couple of weeks ago, but he got a call up for the Vancouver Canucks last night. He was backing up. He's a backup goalie for them. And they spelt his name wrong on his jersey. I don't know if he noticed. I, I was actually going to ask him about it today. I know he knows now, but they spelt it Silvos instead of Seelovs. Like, you see that? Yeah, I kept seeing the Vancouver like journalist or something. A guy there was always tweeting about it. Silvos, that's that's a soak, man. You go in for your first show game, you feel like the man, and then they they botch your name, and you just got a complete wrong name on the back of your jersey. But I mean, I don't even know if Artie would even notice that. He's he, he's always pretty like out of it, so I feel like that wouldn't even bother him, or he wouldn't even have seen it. But and then another thing I wanted to mention quickly uh, was about this episode was if you haven't heard Ryan Suzuki's first episode, I know we don't talk a ton about the um, his career and stuff in this one and how he came to where he is today. So if you want to check that one out, it's episode three on, on the pod, if you haven't heard that one before. So that's always an option after you listen to this one. Yeah, no, episode three was a good one. That was the one that for listeners who don't know, that was the episode that, that kind of blew us up. I think we told some funny stories on there. He mentions about going to his first NHL preseason game with only one stick and it broke in warmups. And mm-hmm. suddenly like TSN was posting it. And remember, cards, we were third on the charts after our third episode in Canada. Like that was a wild one. Yeah, that was that one. And and we had the Q, the Q thing got posted. And I think Q might be playing this weekend. Um, I saw he's up with the Kings. So Little showbound, a lot of showbound bumps lately. Ryan McLeod got his first NHL game. We just had him on a few weeks ago. Like, um, I don't know. It's looking good for the guests at showbound. So. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's just, it's just adding, I mean, we'll probably have a lot of these guys back on at some point, just again, to talk about like once they're established in the show, kind of just then re rekindle um, the interview and kind of get back into it. But no, it, it's been great. And the guys are having a lot of success, which is really good to see. Exactly. And 
We'll send it over to Ryan Suzuki. But before we do, I just want to mention that support for the Showbound podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped just released their new cologne scent to help you feel good and smell good all over and at all times. Who knew smelling this good could feel this good too? Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below-the-waist grooming needs. And just a little shout-out for Manscaped. They actually just sent me and Cardi some new stuff. We're not allowed to talk about it yet, but within the coming weeks, we are going to be you know, bringing that to you guys. So some exciting stuff coming out of Manscaped. Um, and everyone knows that Manscaped does the perfect package 3.0 for all your below-the-waist grooming needs, but they didn't stop there. Complete your grooming game with the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. With the same signature scent that's in all Manscaped formulas, this cologne is a perfect complement to the collection. Light, approachable, and gentlemanly in all the right ways. Think of it as your wingman for the night to keep you fresh and ready for anything. Calming and inviting, this signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of vetiver and a woodsy masculine finish. This 50 milliliter spray cologne is even hypoallergenic, cruelty-free, dye-free, paraben-free, and 100% vegan. This beautifully designed glass bottle makes a statement and the manly scent is attractive to set the mood. Also, be sure to check out the Perfect Package 3.0 with all the essentials for your below-the-waist grooming needs, including the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer and crop formulations. Yes, I'm talking about ball deodorant and toner to keep your testes besties. And now you can use the new Manscaped Refined Cologne to complete your set and smell great anytime, anywhere. It's time to feel sexy. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND at manscaped.com. Your balls and body will thank you. Once again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND at manscaped.com. And now we'll send it over to Ryan Suzuki. All right, and for the second time, we got former guest Ryan Suzuki on the pod. Welcome, Zooks. Thanks, boys. Yeah, and we, uh, we got a lot of catching up to do today. A lot has happened since we last had him on and uh, went to the World Juniors, now playing in the AHL with uh, the Chicago Wolves. And, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about all that and a few bumps in the road that uh, – that came about uh, recently for Zooks as well. So I'll flip it over to you, Rasp. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can get into it right away. You're, you're just coming off of a, a COVID isolation. Do you want to just tell us how that was going for you and how you're, like, staying sane? Um, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely not fun, a lot of video games. Um, but, uh, you know, luckily, the all my boys in Ontario know they're in lockdown right now, so – uh, I got a lot of teammates in the war zone right now. So um, I think they were just keeping me busy throughout the day. And I'm um, obviously just catching up on some rest because uh, um, the days get pretty long um, when you're out there uh, practicing every day and working out. So it was uh, definitely nice to get some rest. But um, I think uh, for me, I was lucky I didn't have many symptoms. So um, it was a pretty easy ride. Uh, Zook, do you stream ever on Twitch? Um, I have a buddy that streams, um, Brock Tricolo. He, uh, Dr. Jenkins on Twitch, if you want to go follow him, but uh, I play with him sometimes and, um, you know, it's always fun just to kind of get in that lifestyle of streaming because, uh, you know, he works hard for it and um, his stream's growing a little bit. So it's good to see. That's, that's pretty funny. I was talking about this with someone else. He's like an agent and he's talking about how all these players are getting into streaming and stuff. And man, it's, it's pretty, pretty entertaining, like watching, you know, your favorite hockey player, whatever sport player, just, you know, getting to see that side of them. Um, but I want to know because I already commented on it before we started. So you got the COVID hair going right now. Okay. Are you keeping it after now that you're out of isolation? What do you like? Are you keeping that? I don't know. My, my mom doesn't like it. So um, I guess I'll let her deal with it when I get back. But um, <laughs> I think for now, I think it looks good coming out of the bucket. So, okay. Uh, I was going to say like, okay, personally, Zook, right now I don't like it. 
Right, but I can see out of a helmet, it would look way better. Yeah, out of the, out of the new CCM helmet, like it's it's second to none. So I'll, I'll ask you got to sacrifice a little bit and have good on ice style. You no, that's what I mean. Like back. I bet I bet it's rocking out of the out of the bucket. But anyway, well, let's talk about the AHL. Speaking of that, so like, how's it going for you so far? Because last time we spoke, you hadn't played uh, a game yet, and you're in Chicago for the listeners who don't know. So just what's that like? The adjustment and, and like how you're finding it so far. And you're, you know, you're off to a good start with like 10 points in 20 games. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the biggest thing is just how heavy it is. Um, you know, you're going out there from, I went from the OHL and it's a bunch of, you know, 16, 17 year olds, maybe a buck 60 and to grown men. And um, I think uh, it was just crazy when, I think it was my first game and it was against uh, Rockford and Cody friends just on the blue line, like, it's just like guys you've watched growing up and, you know, they're older now and he's still a big frame out there. And um, it was uh, like, that was kind of like, just like the welcome to pro hockey moment for me. But um, yeah. yeah, I think uh, just the biggest thing is, you know, you got to play a little heavier and um, you got to work a little harder for pucks in the corners. And, um, but yeah, it's been fun. You know, our team's really good. Um, we're uh, number one in, I think in our little division right now. So um I think uh, just having like a team like that, you know, we we collided with uh, Nashville, so we have all Nashville's top prospects too, and um, you know, we set up a really good team. How's living on your own and stuff? How are you finding that instead of being with Bill? It's like you know, you got to cook, do your laundry, all that. Do you have any roommates as well? Yeah, I'm living with uh, Bach, Dominic Bach. Okay, how's it going for you guys? Um, I think uh, we, you know, we get groceries every week or every couple weeks. Um, but that's all for show because we end up getting Uber Eats at night. and uh, <laughs> Maybe I think the most I've made was a salad. So um, but I think, yeah, it's just you kind of take for granted like your your billets in junior hockey when, you know, that's all gone. So, um, you know, my room's a little messy right now, but hopefully I, I can uh, get around to cleaning that. Eventually, man, eventually you'll get you'll get used to it. I mean, it's like it's like a trial run this year, though, with COVID and everything. You'll be you'll be set up looking good for next year when you go back but how many you guys don't have long left in the season what three weeks maybe and then no playoff yeah i think uh eight games left nine games left yeah and then back back in lundo for a big summer but um world juniors um representing team canada you represented all the way up u17 u18s and then now u20 what was your experience like there just being able to play on that stage and that yeah i think um you know, it was super cool. It's been a dream, dream of mine ever since I started playing. And, um, you know, see my brother go through it. Um, you know, it was obviously a little different. He had, uh, you know, 20,000 fans there in Vancouver and, um, we had none. So, um, I think, uh, but it was pretty crazy. Like we were still getting all the attention, like we normally would maybe even more just because everyone's stuck at home. So, and there was no NHL hockey at the time, too. Yeah, so every, everyone was just, you know, fiending for hockey at that point. So uh, I think it was just it was just a crazy experience. Like, it was it was so weird, you know, not having fans in the building because that was, like, the first time I think any of us were really playing hockey other than the guys from the queue. But um, I think, uh, yeah, like, going from, like, fans in the building to no fans was weird, and then, I mean, just recently we had fans in the AHL, so um, I think it was even weirder having fans back again. But um, yeah, I think the World Juniors was uh, is is crazy. Like, uh, I think just getting up every morning, and, you know, knowing that 
you're going to have millions of, uh, you know, people from your country watching you and family and all that just supporting you is, uh, is definitely a dream come true. Yeah. And then we talked to Nui about it. We talked to Feds about it, just like stories of, uh, how you kind of found out you made the team. I know they were making the rounds. So you mind sharing with the listeners on how you kind of found out you made the team? Yeah. So, um, I didn't know till after, but I guess all the guys were getting FaceTime calls. Um, but my dad doesn't have an iPhone, so it was just, it was just a phone call. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely special um, getting that phone call from my dad and him telling me I made it. But um, we were actually getting like the guys that made the team; they were getting emails like, saying saying that like congratulations, welcome to uh, the Double IHF tournament. Um, like pleased to announce you uh, making the team. So it was, it was pretty funny because um, we kind of already knew, but it, would, it wasn't really confirmed yet. So it was uh, still nice to hear my dad uh, give me that news. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm laughing because when we had Fets on a few weeks ago, it was Fets, right, Cards? Who said that? Fets faked it. Yeah, okay, it was him. It was him. He yeah. was like, when we asked him how he found out he made the team, he said that you had texted him before he got the FaceTime and all that saying to check your email so he's he was saying he found out from the email and he faked it when the camera crew and stuff came in on facetime because he already knew and he wasn't excited anymore like yeah it's funny that the same thing happened to you but i guess it's not the same without the facetime or whatever but that that's pretty interesting i guess uh that's the second time we've heard that that's yeah, you know um Bo byram his uh mom was like yeah you made a team and he was like yeah i know i got an email 15 minutes ago saying <laughs> Yeah, it just just absolutely ruins the surprise for the boys. But um, also, we yeah, we just kind of talked. And, and any funny stories or memories you kind of made in the bubble there, or just in the tournament itself? Um, I think uh, like it was kind of tough because you weren't really, you know, allowed to go out and you know hang out. We had like this one common room where we'd all hang out and stuff like that. But um, I think. Uh, just like the one funny thing was we all got uh scooters for um christmas we all got like these electric scooters really and uh, we had like a christmas dinner and stuff like that for uh for the boys and um no one knew what we were getting that year and then we just see our our gm come in just whipping around on an electric scooter and it's probably <laughs> the funniest thing i've ever seen <laughs> that's actually sick and wait so like do you, you guys didn't get to keep them after did you yeah, they sent them to our house as like a little gift. That's unreal. That's yeah, pretty that's sick. Yeah. I wish I lived closer to downtown because that would be a great tool to get around. Yeah, honestly, just be whipping around in that thing. Little all the college park. guys must love that. Yeah, that's elite. Yeah, that that's awesome. I mean, yeah, the the World Juniors was crazy this year. Like like you said, everyone was watching. It was just, it was like the only hockey going on, and everyone had been dying for for more more hockey, but. Um, just one more question about it, then I'll move on. But you kind of touched on it, how you felt the support and all that. But with no fans, um, how how did it feel like in the building during games, during the play? Like, are you still feeling when, when you score, like, oh, my God, like 20 million people just saw this? Or is it kind of like, well, it's dead? Like, what do you feel like in that moment? <laughs> like, I don't know. They did a really good job at, like, we had, like, fan noises and stuff. But, I mean, it still doesn't make up for the lack of, you know, people in the stands. But, um I think uh, like that team, like we were, we were all so close because, you know, we've come up together and then obviously we had some other younger guys, but, you know, we were, we were all pretty tight knit right away and we knew that we had to build our own energy from the bench. So 
think anytime there's a big hit or a block or anything like that, like even a big goal, um, you know, the bench was always fired up and, you know, you had to build your own energy. And I think that's a big reason why we were so successful. No, that's, that's interesting. It's always, it's always cool. I think hearing how, how guys do it. Cause some people need that to get up for games. Some don't. So yeah. it's uh it's interesting, but I want to move forward and uh, the NHL trade deadline just passed. So I was wondering if, you know, you're, you're a top prospect for Carolina and they're, they're on the hunt this season looking good. Were you worried at all or, or hearing anything? If you might get moved being, being a guy that could be like, have some value. Uh, I think you, like you always see stuff on Twitter, but um, you know, you can't really read into it too much because most of it's just like fan fiction almost. Um, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't too worried. Um, you know, I've like, since I've been here, you know, they're, they're happy with me and, um, I think uh, they want to work with me some more. So, um, but yeah, I'm not, I wasn't too worried because uh, I know it's a business. Um, trades happen all the time. My brother got traded, and uh, I think uh, you know if you, if you do get traded, the team that trades for you really wants you. So it's never really a bad thing. So, um, but yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy that I got to stay in Carolina. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, I wasn't really looking into it too much. Yeah, I mean, the only person you can really trust on Twitter would be OHL Insiders. Um, reliable. So if you see your name getting thrown around by him, it's legit. Yeah, for real. Yeah, that guy's spot on, man. I don't know who's feeding him stuff. But um, have you been talking to Carolina at all about maybe, like, getting up being a black ace or anything as a, as your season ends? Is, is that a possibility? Um, I think it definitely is a possibility. Um, they haven't really talked to me too much about it. Um, I think uh, they just want me to focus on – you know, finishing up here and um, I guess we'll see when the day comes. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, it'd be really cool to go up there and train with the team and uh, go on that big playoff run that they're uh, camping out for. It's so weird how Carolina has been on the hard upswing and they're still, I mean, despite being in like first place, they're still barely talked about. I mean, maybe yeah. for you, you hear it more than we would over here, but it's actually crazy because it's been like two or three years now where they're actually right in the mix. Um, but to, as far as being a prospect of a team, that might be one of the coolest teams to be in the organization right now because they're getting, like, they're on the up and up for sure. Like, what do you think about um, how Carolina's sort of changed? Because I don't know if you knew how they were before, but it, it was one of the lower kind of ranked organizations in the league, and they really turned it around. Yeah, I think, you know, before I was drafted, like, just because where I've lived, you know, in, in London, we didn't really see much of, you know, Carolina or those teams up there so um but yeah it's like it was pretty crazy like once once I got drafted and you know, I started focusing on them more and um they started doing uh you know all the stuff you know after they win with the storm surge and stuff like that it's uh it's all for the fans and you know they loved it and they've been selling out ever since so I think uh it's it's just smart like business wise um you know the owner like created an app here um to you know draw fans in and it's clearly worked and, you know, everyone loves it. Um, well, they're a young team and, um, you know, everyone loves going to watch them. And I think uh, they're definitely still underrated, but um, I think we're, uh, we're still coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Zuka, I want to know, we, we talked about it, me and cards on a, on an episode that you weren't on. I can't remember who it was with, but we were mentioning how you like to ball out and, and look stylish and look. Yeah, who, who was that episode? Because we, we gave him so many name drops. It was I, I sent it to Zook. Do you remember? Jarv. Oh, who? Jarvie. Yeah. Yeah. Jarvie. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it was <laughs> we, man. Like every five seconds we were bringing him up. 
the guitar and all that stuff too like anyway um have you uh have you made any purchases lately now that you're getting a consistent paycheck um new shoes i got yeah shoes obviously i knew it i uh i don't know i'm just a big shoe guy i don't really spend much money off of that but i like to you know save it a little bit and i just i bought a car my first my first year so yeah the subi yeah so i uh, i have to uh you know watch watch my money so but yeah i definitely definitely purchased a lot of shoes for sure so the reason I ask is our partners at Gavin Hockey Wealth Specialists believe that your goals matter. After hundreds of early morning practices and countless hours on the ice or in the gym, you truly earned your success and you deserve to enjoy it. For over 20 years, the team at Gavin has assisted professional hockey players with setting goals and more importantly, providing them with a game plan to achieve them. Whether it's a house, a car, a cottage, or even supporting your family, it is all within reach when you partner with a pro. And you can check them out at gavingroup.ca. And then, yeah, I think we've talked about enough here, but we'll we'll give the fans what they want. Always our weekly fan questions. We had a bunch, just like usual. So the one that we have every week, stick specs, Sooks. What stick and what specs? Um, I was using Bauer, but uh, the AHL sponsored by CCM, so I had to switch over. Um, but I use uh, the CCM Jetspeed FT3. I think FT3. Yeah, yeah, probably. And uh, have a candy cane grip, which is different. I don't think a lot of guys use that. So that's uh, mm. how I stand out. But uh, I use the P92, P90, and uh, 80 flex. Okay. How many mouth guards do you go through a year? I don't use one. My no. dad will kill me because he's a dentist. But yeah, I don't, oh. I don't use one. <laughs> when i saw that question i wasn't sure if it was a joke or not like i wasn't sure if you chew your mouth guard or do something like that I, but yeah mouth guards but, not mandatory no but in at, AM, uh, like in pro hockey I don't no know. at world juniors they were so i was not on that thing all tournament but that's probably yeah. what they were talking about then just calling them out just yeah i went through i went through two that tournament so I, mean, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine a year <laughs> that's absurd um What's a thing you always do before a game? Um, definitely coffee. I'm a big coffee guy, so I'm just getting my caffeine in early, and um, I don't have too many rituals because I don't like to, you know, stress myself out before a game. But um, yeah, just coffee and uh, relax. What part of your game has improved most since you first stepped into the O? Till now. Um, I think just having like the confidence to hold on to pucks and, you know, make plays. Cause uh, you know, early on I was kind of forcing the puck to, you know, older guys cause I was a little intimidated by them. But I think, uh, you know, halfway through that season, I started, you know, finding really good chemistry with uh, Chioto and Magwood. And, um, you know, I had more confidence with the puck. Um, and I think, uh, you know, coming in as a younger guy, you gotta, you gotta show, you gotta showcase what you can actually do and not just kind of be intimidated by, you know, older guys and, um, try and like shy away from your game. So I think uh, just you know having the confidence to make plays and you know help the team is the biggest thing for me. Okay. Okay. I want to ask you a question that just kind of came to my mind, and uh, I'm trying to like word it in my head. But so everyone always mentions it's the confidence. You know, as you get older, go through years of being in the league or whatever that makes you a better player. You just learn from being more confident. Yeah. So let's say you step into the NHL your first game or first couple of games naturally you're kind of like just don't make a mistake in your head that's that's what you're thinking 
Are, is something you you want to tell yourself? You like, oh, Rask, you played a few NHL games, you know? Or... Yeah, I, I look at my stats, bro. Point yeah. per game. Yeah. Um, but no, for real, like, is something you're gonna tell yourself, like, I'm here for a reason. Like, I'm gonna play my game. Not, don't play nervous. Like, just play with the confidence. I know it's hard to build up the confidence not having played, but that mentality of, you know, I'm here for a reason can make a big difference. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, like, I think, uh, I mean. Cardsy can probably you know relate to this like once you once you get up like it's all in your head when you're just sitting there like once you get on the ice it's just like second nature almost like like I can't even describe like like you're all worried about it and then once you get out there like you're just like in the, you're just in it you're just in the zone and, um, yeah I think like you just kind of stress yourself out so much like on the bench or before the game like I think once you just got to calm yourself down because like once you get out there, you're, you're going to do your thing. Like it's, uh, it's just all muscle memory. Once you, once you step on the ice. Yeah. The worst is like warm ups too. In your first game, like warm ups is supposed to be so much fun and everything you get out there in your first game, you're just in your pants and warm up. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, it's just being like anxious to get out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all in your head. I think like mostly Mm because you're definitely right. Like you're there for a reason. Like, they wouldn't put you in an NHL game or an OHL game if you weren't ready. So yeah, I think uh, you just got to believe in yourself. And once you step foot out there, like it's, it's second. Yeah. And it's definitely easier said than done though, but not that I would know cards, but I, um, <laughs> anyway, I don't know if you have a, anything for this one, but what's the weirdest thing you've ever signed? Um, I don't know. Maybe like, this baby is wearing like a little helmet and I signed his helmet, but that was kind of cute. Like it wasn't really weird. I thought you were going to say the baby. <laughs> no, I would sign a baby, but that'd be funny. Um, okay. And uh, this one, so we got Marty Williamson, the very cool acting GM coming on uh, later on in this episode. And we asked him the same thing. The same fan asked both these questions, but which team won the Suzuki Cardwell trade? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. You get a personality like Cardsy and Barry, and kind of turn that whole organization around. So <laughs> I don't know. I call it even. We'll call it an even split. I like that. I like that. I, I back that 100. percent I mean, um, who knows what Zooks could have done if they were in the playoffs? So yeah. for sure, yeah. they were they were set up for a deep run. But yeah, the personality check in, in Barry. We could we could have used Zooks still there. Well, when I came, just been. Yeah dynamic there with Forey too. just have the boys getting a little rowdy but hey happened for a reason we are where we are today so yeah well um i mean that's it for the fan questions but zook because last time we had you on we weren't as established i guess as we are now so for you coming on now we're gonna send you a beautiful axle watch i got mine right here we're gonna send you can take a pick we'll send you one of those and you'll be looking sweet your brother has one actually right I have one. It's just in Saginaw right now. Uh, oh. We met him at the uh, at this golf tournament a couple a couple years ago. And, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. Well, I now you're gonna get another. Yeah. So yeah, you'll be added to the collection. <laughs> one for both wrists. Guy will walk around with double. <laughs> double axle. We'll, we'll get him an axle watch for every pair of shoes he has. Okay. Yeah, I like that matching. So we'll yeah. have to get him like seven hundred pairs. Yeah, a couple hundred axle watch. But uh, and for the fans who want to buy an Axe watch, use the code AX underscore showbound at checkout for fifteen Rask. 
15 percent off so axle watches everyone go check them out but uh from me i think that pretty much does it um you rask yeah man zook it's always fun catching up with you i'm just excited for you to finally like make the nhl it'd be nasty so um (laughs) Just too, don't man. don't forget about showbound when you, when you make it. We'll get you back on. Yeah, so for sure, no, I'll be back. Yeah. So okay, thanks thanks for back. coming on, man. It's good catching up, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks to Zook for that. Awesome catching up with him. Happy he said he's not gonna forget about us when he makes the show. Like a guy who's uh, gonna I think be a staple on the showbound podcast. So excited for him and happy he's having a good year. What do you think of that one, cards? Yeah, man. Just happy he's doing well and with COVID they're just coming out of that so it's a little bit of an interesting topic there um to hear about that but now he's playing well and yeah definitely like you said he's gonna be a uh, good player in the show so a good contact for the podcast to have there definitely uh for years to come but uh, I think with that being said we'll uh we'll send it over to our next interview uh we have Marty Williamson all right I want to welcome Barry Colts, acting general manager and head coach of the Brock University men's hockey team, Marty Williamson, to the pod. Marty, how's it going? It's going well. Going great, guys. Good to have you on. Um, So, I mean, we got a lot to talk about, uh, both with Barry and with Brock. But one thing everyone kind of wants to know is, like, with the OHL season just being canceled, how close was the league to actually getting started and playing? Well, as far as I, you know, my gut feeling is that we were unbelievably close. You know, it was, uh, you know, I can't remember the dates specifically, but it's about a week and a half ago that, uh, you know, we had the conversation and we were like 12 hours away from it going. And then all of a sudden when Ford wanted to make the announcement, uh, the government put everything on hold. And, uh, you know, we didn't know if it was going to be a couple of days. And then when it turned into a week plus, you know, things, you know, got ugly then because the shutdown got extended and, the window of opportunity just seemed to go away. But, uh, you know, I was, you know, it was kind of a roller coaster going back and forth on it. And, uh, you know, we were pretty excited. We were talking to the trainers there and Barry about, you know, getting equipment ready and sticks ready and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and then all of a sudden it just went sideways. Yeah, that's that's tough. What, what was the plan? It was Hub Cities, right? That's what they had told us. They never really kind of went into details with us on it, but Hub Cities is what everybody anticipated. Um, 17 teams and not the three U.S. teams, uh, you know, and uh, but we didn't. I mean, that was kind of the, the fun of the whole thing. We were kind of trying to guess which hub we might be in and where we might be going. And yeah. that was when it was exciting there for 12 hours. <laughs> it went away pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a small kind of window of opportunity there for the O. But um, unfortunately, as we all know, it got canceled now. But uh, so, Marty, you being back in Barry is the acting GM now and former coach of the Colts from 2004 to 2010. So kind of, you want to just tell the listeners like how you kind of got back into Barry and how things unfolded there? Yeah, the, uh, you know, the, the plain and simple was that Dale Howardchuk reached out to me and uh, he wanted me to kind of come on board. And, uh, you know, I'd been a longtime fan of Dale and obviously I knew Howie and uh, the organization and that. But when Dale kind of reached out to me on a phone call saying that, you know, we want to win a championship in Barry and we think you'd be an asset if you could kind of help an advisor type role. Um, you know, I was all for it. And, uh, you know, you talk about turnarounds, obviously, you know, a huge turnaround for Barry when we lost Dale and, uh, you know, uh, you know, sad, sad, you know, just unbelievable. You know, I just I can't 
fathom the time frame from him and I on a golf course, you know, having a great time and drinking beer and, uh, you know, and then he got word that he got cancer and then a year later he's gone. You know, it was, uh, you know, so that's, that's kind of the steps of how I got back. Really, He reached out, uh, how he kind of, you know, at the same time was reaching out and uh, we thought it was a good fit there to try and put a team together. We, we thought we were on the upswing and, uh, you know, we had a chance to win a championship. So, uh, you know, that's still the goal, but uh, unfortunately we don't have to deal with this anymore. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into our next thing. Um, we we're just kind of going to ask about your relationship with Dale and kind of the impact he had on you, not only in hockey, but like and just in life. Well, the first thing that I know I've heard so many people say it is just what a nice guy he was. It's like he was a great guy. You know, I mean, there's a lot of competition that goes on in the benches and him and I had never been on a bench together. We had always been against each other. And, uh, you know, our last series against each other was a big series uh, where we came out on top in Niagara. But, uh, you know, always a class act, um, you know, always, you know, I always wanted to get to know him better because, I was amazed at some of the things his teams did offensively, you know, and it was like, how do you teach that? Like, I mean, you know, these backdoor passes and the extra plays at the barrier was always made with LeBanc and Mangiapane and and Scheif and so many good players that were there. And and Dale did such a wonderful job with them. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of one of the reasons when he reached out, I was like, yeah, for sure. I'm on, I'm on board here. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he's the type of guy that always looked at me going, boy, your teams are so sound defensively and they're disciplined. And, uh, you know, I think he wanted to pick my brain a little bit. We really connected and, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, that's kind of the, where it, where it happened. And obviously a ton of respect for his career, you know, a hall of famer. And, but boy, when you're on a golf course with a guy or we were at meetings or whatever, you never knew this guy was a hall of famer. He was just a, a fun guy, always a smile on his face, always looking for, you know, a joke or, you know, where we can have a laugh together. So, you know, just a big, big loss. You know, it's, uh, I still, yeah, I got to pinch myself to kind of like how it all happened. It just seems like a blur, you know, that uh, coming back and I was so excited to work with Dale and then, you know, then he gets sick and we brought in Rikes and we had Miller there and, you know, good people, but it was always the plan that Dale was coming back and, uh, you know, that just never happened. And, uh, you know, I was one of those guys that got that final phone call from him, you know, telling us that he was going to, you know, he was going to be leaving in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, again, you know, he's talking to me about my son going, you know, your kid's a good player. Tell him he's got to do this and he's got to do that. And, uh, you know, not even, you know, worried about his sickness. You know, again, the call was kind of a, you, you just don't, I've never had a call like that. So you don't always know what to say. Day, but he just made it so easy you know he didn't even make it awkward for me he made it so easy for me so he's a great guy we really miss him yeah and I know all the players were kind of excited we uh when it was looking good for him there we were excited to get him back yeah. uh, behind the bench and you know we, we we had a good team there so looking forward to the years ahead but unfortunately uh that couldn't happen but the time I spent with him super down-to-earth guy really nice and like you yeah. said just just a real great guy and all in all but um we were talking about it before this, uh, the call started in the OHL draft now with, uh, with no season happening. Um, we were kind of just wondering, and there was a lot of fan questions about this one. Just curious on what can you tell us about how the OHL draft might unfold this year? Well, we actually have a meeting in a couple hours to kind of go over it with us. Um, so I'm guessing a little bit, but my, my gut feel is that it's going to be a lottery type. Um, I, I don't think there's anything else they can do. Um, you know, we, we're going to hear in the meeting in, in a couple hours, but, uh, you know, whether it's going to be weighted at all. But my feeling is it's 
going to be strictly a lottery, um, you know, and we'll see who gets lucky. Is The big joke is that it'll probably be London winning the lottery. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, they seem to have all the luck in our league. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it, again, it'll be strictly, you know, throw a ball in the hat and uh, whoever gets their name pulled out uh, gets first pick. So, uh, you know, I guess I, you know, again, I'll find out in a couple hours, but I think that's the only way to do it. You know, there's yeah. no other way to do it. Yeah, you never know. There could be 20 London names in that hat and uh, they'll, they'll be picking first overall. But uh, no, and then with, <laughs> with with no minor hockey seasons either this year, it's been kind of tough. And I know you do a little bit of scouting along with our scouting staff there in Barry. So what um, what kind of like how how's the scouting process been this year and how are you guys identifying kids for the draft? We're, we're, we were lucky, I think, in Barrie that we got Rob and uh, a few of our scouts out early to see all the games that were being played or kind of four on four and different things that was being played. So we got a bit of a grip on it that way. You know, right now we're just getting inundated with kids sending emails to us and showing us at practice and stuff like that. And boy, that's it's hard to evaluate. You know, it's uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting draft. You know, I, I think everybody's going to have a pretty good grip on the top guys, but I think the people that have done their homework might get the steals, you know, from rounds, you know, four to 10, you know, that kind of stuff that if you've done your homework and talked to the right people that you might be able to get yourself a, a really good hockey player in there. The top players, you know, I think everybody kind of knows and there'll be difference of opinion, whether a kid should be five or 14, that kind of stuff. That'd be a preference of an organization, but uh, you know, it's, you just, I think it's an even playing field. You know, I mean, the teams that did their work are going to, you know, have some options. If you didn't do your work, then you're going to be behind the eight ball a little bit, but that's, that's life, you know? Yeah. And definitely you, we always see steals in the draft every year. And I mean, we had one there for you, Barry picked him up in the third round. Now first rounder to the NHL, former guest of the podcast. So a little bump for four, but uh, <laughs> uh, then kind of just like in the off season too, that goes along with the drafting and stuff, but what other aspects of like, just getting ready for now next season as the OHL wants to start on time, hopefully in August going to camp and everything. So what, uh, what do you have to do or get done this off season to have everything prepared for um, next season? Well, I think that's the exciting part cards. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, obviously we're disappointed by what's happened, but we have to move on from it. And then the next part is next year. And, uh, you know, we're fully expecting uh, the league is that it's going to be a start on time. So, you know, it's, you know, obviously we, we lose a couple of players in Barry with overage players and uh, with Big Z and in uh, Hatfield. So, you know, there's, you know, our team's not hit quite as much as others, but we'll have a, a few more overagers, you know, next year that we got to kind of sort out between Greavesy and Hill and uh, Allenson and then Porco and Tabak up front. So, you know, there is going to be a change to everybody's team. You know, I really think we're one of the teams that probably st- stays the most consistent. You know, other teams have seven and eight, 19 year olds that they've got to reduce and uh, that, are, that are turning into 20. So, uh you know, so it's a matter of getting that together, getting the whole organization, you know, worked out as far as coaching, uh, all the coaches and, you know, the management team, get that all worked out in the summer. And, uh, you know, we'll get some Zoom calls with the guys like we've been doing and uh, keep that going. We're hoping that they allow us to do developmental camps earlier and, and uh, those kind of things. But that's all going to kind of come out, you know, after the draft. I think that's the priority for the league right now is to get the draft done. 
and then the next step will be, you know, kind of all the, the regulations that will be allowed. You know, can we come into camp a little bit early? You guys have been off like you were lucky you went to Europe a little bit and played some, but a lot of guys have been off for, you know, a whole, you know, almost kind of like two years or a year and a half type thing. So now again, you guys are all getting ice and all that, but as you know, you know, it's not the same as competition. And, you know, so we're hoping maybe training camps can be a little bit longer this year, but those are things that are all kind of get worked out down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully maybe there could even be a possibility of an extended preseason by a few games, I think would be nice just to get, get everyone going, especially because some of the rookies coming in, like probably haven't played in longer than the, the OHL guys returning, but um, I want to kind of take it back to your time in Niagara, Marty, where for the listeners, I met Marty back then when he was coaching in Niagara coach and GM from 2010 to 2016. Um, and cards, I don't know if you know this, but I've known Marty now, like we've been working alongside for going into our seventh year together now. Um, so we've been able to get tight and like, I've been able to learn a lot from Marty, but I remember the big one in Niagara was the, um, the OHL championship run in your final season there. So can you just tell us about that run? You had a sick team, guys like Josh Hosang, Brendan Perlini, Vince Dunn, Alex Nadalkovich, who's lighting it up in Carolina now. Like, what was that season like for you in that run? You know, kind of a, you know, a great finish. Well, we lost in the final, so not a great finish, but a, a great playoff run. The season was up and down. You know, it wasn't as uh, as consistent. Actually, the big trade at the trade deadline where we brought in Josh Wesley um, and Ned's, uh, I think it was one, Harper, brought Harper in too. Uh, we brought a kid in at the Guelph. Can't think of his name right now. Um, but they really kind of oh, changed Tyler our Boston, dressing right? room. Yes, yes, Tyler Boston. Yep, exactly. Um, they really kind of changed our dressing room. That, uh, And a lot of cre- credit to Ned's, um, you know, that he – they became a, a better voice and guys maybe like Josh Hosang became less of a voice in our dressing room. And uh, that was a good thing for us. Josh played really well during the playoffs, but he's a maintenance guy. And uh, I don't think I've ever had a player hug me so much in my life and asking me if I'm okay. And I said, yeah, Josh, I'm fine. Just you know, <laughs> pay attention, buddy, and <laughs> stay in line here. And uh, so he, he's an interesting guy, but you know, he really, you know, he, he played fantastic, uh, you know, through the playoffs. Everybody talked about, you know, the Krauses and, you know, everybody that Kingston had, uh, Kingston and Barry and this kind of stuff. But uh, our guys uh, really showed up and led by Ned. I really think he was the backbone of our team and, you know, good goaltending. That's why that final against Barry with Blackwood and him and both guys are in the NHL now. It's kind of cool to see those things. But uh, it was it was a good year. It's, uh, you know, almost, I mean, again, we had another one earlier. My second year, we went to the finals too. And both times lost to London. So that's, uh, you know, it's a bee in my bonnet that, uh, you know, it's uh, it's always those guys. Heck of a team, you know, when you lose to Marner and to Chuck. And, you know, and then the other year it was a, a different group of guys. But, uh, you know, high-end players and uh, great series. And, you know, I, I remember talking to Hunts and he said, you know, in the one series if we switched the goalies, you know, you guys probably win. I think we all played them every game. But, uh, you know, uh, we just had a little bit of trouble with uh, keeping the puck out of our net. So going back to Hosang, I heard, can't remember, maybe you can verify this. I heard he would have like two hot dogs before every game. He'd be getting the concessions people to open up early for him. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the amazing part was how he did it on the road. You know, how he'd go into these buildings and get these people to open up for him. And, uh, you know, Josh was... 
you know, I kind of came to an agreement with him that I'd leave him over some things if he'd leave, you know, would do things for me. Like uh, he needed to get his shift links was just, you know, puke when he first showed up with us. You know, he'd be out there for two minutes and I'd be pulling my hair out. And, uh, you know, and uh, so if I got him to buy into some things. I'd leave him alone on some other things. And the hot dogs were one thing that I kind of just left him alone. That was his pregame ritual. And uh, I remember asking him one time when he was going there, I said, what are you going to do when you uh, go to the Islanders? You know? And, you know, they, you can't do these kind of things. They're going to look at you. And, uh, you know, I said, get, get into places on time. He said, well, I'm going to hire a guy. He says, he'll get me everywhere on time. And I'm like, oh, my God, you got to hire a guy to get you somewhere on time and wake you up and get you out of bed. And uh, so he, he was a unique guy. And as I said, uh, you know, they, I found him sweet at times. He was a lot of, uh, I don't call many of my hockey players sweet. And uh, <laughs> he was kind of that way. But uh an unbelievable talent. Like, I mean, you could not give him a bad pass. Like he could pick up the puck and, uh, you know, do, and as I said, you know, a, a ton of credit goes to him too. in that playoff run, how well and how gritty he played for us. That's what people don't know about Josh a little bit was how gritty he was. Like he took a lot of punishment out there and, you know, he never gave it back. He was kind of a soft player that way, but uh, you know, he took a lot. So I had to appreciate that from him, how hard he played for us. No, definitely. I remember watching him on that run. He was like doing spinner Emma's up through the middle of the ice and walking people, making them yeah, look silly. Yeah. It was it was cool to watch. But yeah. um, I want to go back earlier in your Niagara Ice Dog career. This one was hilarious. There's a big popular YouTube video. I told you I was going to bring it up, but you had one of these <laughs> insane freakouts on the bench, like for context. And you can explain it more, but I think like um, Brendan Perlini, your star player, I think was getting hit pretty hard there was a couple bad calls in a row and all of a sudden you're on the bench throwing sticks or something like that like can you just tell us about what was going on there it, it was actually stromer and uh okay he got kind of sucker punched and they put both of them in the box and so i i brought the guy over and i'm like how the hell does my guy end up in the box here and that and he said uh, he deserved it and that's what kind of set me off you know it's you know, what do you deserve to get punched in the face now stromer was kind of a talker and uh, you know he was probably yapping pretty good and uh, you know so you know it was one of those kind of things but uh, that's what set me off and uh, it just kind of exploded from there and just kept going and going so it, uh, it it's funny but a year later I was down in Mexico with a buddy of mine and uh, we were at one of these outdoor in Cancun outdoor bars and that and uh, we were drinking tequila and beer and I'd gone off to the washroom and I came back and my buddy got um, the the Mexican bartender on his iPad to put up Marty goes crazy Marty Williamson goes crazy or something so I come back to the bar and they're all watching it on the on the video type thing and the, the Mexican guy was laughing because he was telling us how tough soccer was and we were trying to explain hockey to him and uh, so then he sees me going nuts as a coach and uh, anyways I guess I got some free tequila out of him that for the for watching the uh, video on that so kind of a crazy night but it cost me a five game suspension so that wasn't that great oh man. I got uh, another one, like speaking of suspensions and because I want to kind of parlay this into Brock hockey, but Brock <laughs> hockey player and former captain at Brock and former Sudbury Wolves captain Brody Silk. So uh, what was the story where I think he also was attacking Stromer or something? And then didn't you get him suspended for like 10 games or something? And then it came back. I remember talking at Brock. He was complaining about it. And you're like, yeah, that was me who got you suspended. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, Stromer again got sucker punched in that one and uh you know i went nuts on the league because the league was really cracking down on if you didn't want to fight two guys didn't want to fight then you can't you know you can't just keep going at a guy and uh um silky hit him with a good one actually cracked his jaw 
And uh, so we phoned the league on Silky and said, you know, my guy's out for, you know, like a month with a cracked jaw. You know, you're telling me that's nothing or whatever. So they ended up giving Silky 12 games and uh, it really wasn't that bad of a thing that Silky did. It really wasn't. I mean, again, it's not great breaking a guy's jaw, but I mean, Stromer was kind of fighting. His gloves were off and he was kind of participating and, uh, but we sold it pretty good to the leagues. So I remember, you know, I, I didn't know Silky at the time, but their management was pretty upset with us that uh, they ended up, we ended up following through with it. And uh, we were arch rivals kind of at the time. Sudbury and Niagara had some good battles going and big comeback games and a lot of stuff going on. So, uh, and then it's kind of funny when you end up, you know, with the guy. Stromer and I have had a lot of history together because Stromer was in Barry. He was a Barry first round pick. And my final year, we traded Stromer for, uh, Petro, uh, Peter Angelo, and uh, to get the stud defenseman. And uh, all of a sudden, the next year, I find myself in Niagara, and I've got Stromer as one of my players again. And uh, him and I have had a lot of interactions, you know, back and forth and uh, the time. And I still keep in touch with him. He's doing fantastic in New York there. And, uh, you know, he's a great he's a great kid. That, that's funny. That, that's a good story, too. And, um, kind of before, before I take it into Brock, actually, that just kind of got me on the topic. So... I want to know, do you have like a, a best and a worst trade that sticks out in your mind from your, your OHL career? Uh, yeah, you know, um, we made a lot of different trades. The Pither Cameron trade really put us over the top in Barry, and uh, we brought both those guys in, and that was a huge trade for us. And we went to the league final against Windsor that year, and a uh, uh, phenomenal year. I think we only lost seven games. Uh, we made that trade in the summertime, and they really just changed our whole team um, so that was a really good trade. Um, and actually the same year, and I can't remember his name, we traded for the captain of Guelph and um, it was for future rights to Clifford and uh, Clifford ended up making the NHL. So the trade didn't happen. I'm trying to think of his name, but he was a great kid. The problem was he just didn't fit into a role and he was unhappy with us. And when you got unhappy players, um, it just, it, it's, it struggles. And we thought he was going to be the perfect fit penalty killer, but then he wanted to play power play. And we already had guys like Peter and Cameron and, you know, different setups already. So he wasn't going to get that. So that, that year was kind of the best and the worst, you know, right there. Um, I'm trying to think Niagara, you know, obviously Ned's was a fantastic trade. I, you know, and I didn't know he was that good. You know, I, Mike Vellucci phoned me and he said, Marty, trust me. And uh, when we made that trade, because I was iffy on it and uh, his numbers kind of weren't, they weren't like the best numbers in the world. It wasn't like a safe percentage and his goals against was like phenomenal. Um, but when you got to know him and he just competes so hard and it's always about that next, if he lets three in, he'll work so hard not to let the fourth in and do everything for the, the guys and that kind of stuff that, you know, I got to say he's right up there too with, uh, you know, a, a good trade for us because it really did change our team, um, you know, and allowed us to get to the finals. So. Um, so let's talk about Brock quickly and then we can, can keep it moving forward. But like I mentioned before, you're the head coach of Brock men's hockey. I just want to know, and kind of for the listeners, how do you find the level of U sports uh, coaching it like how is it high level how do you compare it to the O that that sort of thing well they're older than the guys in the O so you know you, you've got a, an age range from 20 to 24 you know compared to the O which you're more 16 to 20 so 
you know, obviously what happens in the university level, the real high end guys go because they go pro and then you get the next group of guys and they're usually the character guys and, you know, a lot of real good, you know, hardworking guys. So the, the hockey is fantastic. I wasn't sure when I first went there, if I was going to like it or not, I'd been in the O for, you know, 12 years and loved the OHL and remember stepping on the ice for my first practice. And I had Brian little, and I was just blown away by, you know, how hard he worked and how good he was. And I was like, kind of like the real first star I had on my team and uh, you know so you know I knew I wasn't going to get that at university so much you know so I was kind of wasn't sure but my god I just loved it you know when I got there at Brock and uh, you know how hard work and that first group of guys you know we weren't very pretty but uh, you know a hard working group and we found our way all the way to nationals and uh, you know guys like Silky and that and uh, they just they just wanted some leadership and just wanted to play hard and uh, you know what a fun first year I had and every year has been great you know every year Logan Thompson comes in Jordan Sambrook you know we've had great players uh, you know Wally's there you know there's so many good guys that uh you know we've had real good success with getting some guys out of that bc league and you know with mac and uh you know that group out there bergy and uh so you know pacheco who's over in europe playing and uh and you know the, the similar thing and you know in cards are no but you know for me at this point it's about helping these guys go forward you know and some guys want to go to europe and some guys still just want to play competitive hockey for four years they don't want to play men's league yet and stuff like that they want to play hard competitive hockey and uh, and U sports gives you that it's uh it's a really good league and uh you know, I've enjoyed my time. Brock's been fantastic to me. And obviously with the new rink being built on campus, that's pretty exciting for Brock going forward. And, uh, you know, it's, and I mean, this was a tough year, but again, they come to practice and you got guys like Marino and that, and they're working their tails off in practice. And we knew we had no games, but you know, they're still out there working. So, uh, good group of guys and uh, it's a it's a very underrated league you know I know uh, I think it was last year UFT played uh, the Brampton Beast or something and beat them um, so you know I mean I, I don't think we're far off in East Coast you know pro type level um, you know the top teams like UNB and stuff like that I mean uh, there's there's some good teams and and we're seeing more and more guys sign contracts and uh, you know for us we look at a Logan Thompson and how proud we are of him and uh, he got his first game with Vegas this year and uh, you know here's a guy that you know came to university and wasn't sure where it was going but just kept playing hard and uh, you know set a school record for us in wins and net there and uh, so it, it's 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 a great league I really enjoy it yeah, and uh, I just want to say, too, I think it was UNB beat Manitoba Moose, the AHL team, in the preseason two years ago. So it's just like some some schools are yeah. crazy. But um, just you touched Great on that point. first year going to the national championship. And I have a funny story that comes yeah. off in cards. You'll get a kick out of this. So you you said it, Marty. We They didn't have an identity, the team. And um, I, they, we were called the Misfits. Remember that? Everyone called us the Misfits. Yeah. We, cards, we go to the national championship in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Um Almost all the team's luggage didn't show up, including mine. So first night we're there, there's like the banquet, the, the award ceremony for the national awards, and no one has their suits because it's all like lost in the luggage. So some guys had like extra suits and stuff. So people were mixing and matching. Like you got guys with different, different jackets, different pants, different shoes, all this stuff, just to try to look somewhat presentable. And then next thing you know, so we're as if it wasn't bad enough, every team has like a, a nice coach bus, take them from the hotel, to the award ceremony and i don't know what happened with ours but they sent us a city bus so we're walking off the city bus to the awards banquet with mismatched suits like the worst team 
to make it to that national championship out of all of them and just further the misfits like the story even more it was so funny that's unreal that's good <laughs> yeah it was but, kind of fitting almost to everything that kind of lined up for us i remember guys i had extra pairs of shoes and dress shoes and guys were wearing them and they were like three sizes too big for them and uh, but you know that group of guys they uh we persevered through everything. I think we lost or we only won one out of our first eight games and our season was looking like a nightmare. And, uh, you know, we ended up finishing in fifth, I think it was. And, uh, you know, and then knocked everybody off. You know, we just beat everybody and uh, found ourselves going to nationals. And, uh, you know, I, I think we scored one goal in overtime that was about nine feet offside. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just things seemed to roll our way. Uh, poor Guelph took that one. And, uh, you know, then we came the, back and beat them. It was the icing three. call. <laughs> that's right. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and then uh, um, I, I think Tipper tripped the guy behind the net, ended up getting the puck, and uh, you know, it was just like a comedy of errors. But it just suited us. But I, those guys, you know, I mean, you know, Sammy Banga and uh, that whole group of guys there, it, uh, you know, that, that's as fun as a year I've really had. You know, really, that was a, a fun, fun year. When you get any group of guys that want to work that hard, you know, and, and just – try and do something. That's what it's all about. You know, that's, you look at Barry next year, that's the goal for them. You know, you look at Brock and for us next year and that kind of stuff, that's, you know, when you can get guys to buy in and just work for each other. And that's what that team was all about. That was for each other. You know, it's, uh, it wasn't for parents in the stands or anything like that. That was just yeah. a, a bunch of brothers kind of going to battle every night and finding a way. So I remember in that national championship after we lost, in the dressing room, I want to like you, you talk about how the team had sort of a lack of identity and needed leadership before, but I also find maybe you were in the same position heading into that season where you, you were maybe done in the OHL. You didn't know if you wanted to coach or GM, you had offers. And I remember you in, in the dressing room saying like you fell in love with coaching all over again that year. Like, can you talk about how that went for you? They really did. You know, they, uh, you know, it was when we came to that point where we had such a terrible start and we were playing bad hockey and they were a lot like the team that I had seen the year before you know and I asked them I said to I said to the guys I said either we're going to buy in and we're going to play together or else I'm just going to you know worry about recruiting a whole different team next year and and everything just kind of changed guys like Michi and guys like that they just they all started pulling the same rope and uh and that's what was fun. That's what coaching is all about, trying to get 22 guys, you know, going direction. And it's not always going to be a perfect world. There's going to be, you know, hiccups along the way in that. But, you know, when you get that, it, it really is something special. It, it's fun. You know, I remember sitting on buses for rides home after games and, you know, just so proud of our guys. And that's what for a coach, that's that's where the fun comes out when you can be, you know, so proud of your team because they just battled hard for each other. Um, you know, and it did, it, it, it just put me in a whole different energy spot as, as far as, uh, you know, where I wanted to keep coaching and keep going and, uh, you know, and that passion and, uh, and it's continued with, uh, you know, with Brock and that it's, uh, it's, it, it's, you know, I, you know, this year was a tough year and not being able to do anything. My wife is ready to kick me right to the street. <laughs> um, so I got one more Brock question and I'll keep it moving with cards here, but. Uh, the Steel Blade Classic, for listeners who don't know, it's like the homecoming game at Brock, 5,000 fans, all just drunk students going crazy, like singing throughout the game during the play. Like, Marty, can you talk about coaching in that atmosphere? Like, it's nothing like anyone has ever experienced. 
It really isn't because I've been on the same bench with the ice dogs in playoffs and it's loud, but it's an older crowd, you know, and that kind of stuff. And they get, you know, they cheer at the end of the game. But when you bring the students in, they cheer start to finish. And and the funniest thing is that the one year we're playing a close game and I can't think which year it was, but it's obviously against Guelph and that. But at the end of the game, the fans are gone. Like, I mean, they've been there right until, and I was like, what's up with that? And they were had to get to the bars to get in line because they didn't want to wait that long. So the place just kind of emptied out with about four minutes left in the game because they were all racing to the bars. And uh, But what a fun game. Like, I mean, that uh, the tailgate we had out front and, uh, you know, the, you know, just the, and a lot of them, like, a lot of them really don't, aren't hockey fans to some extent. You know, a lot of them are just, they're Brock you know, students and Brock fans and they know, you know, they know which team's which, but that was about it. And, uh, you know, the, the one game that we had a few fights in, the, the crowd was just going nuts. I thought they were going to bring that building down. So uh, it, it is a fun, fun game. It's a, it's the only game where I haven't been able to talk to my players. Like you, you have to scream in their ear for them to hear you. Like, it's like, you know, sometimes I'm barking about things that are going on the ice. So I just, there was no sense doing that because they couldn't hear a thing. They, I mean, it was just such a loud, my mom and dad came to the game and, and they couldn't believe it. It wasn't the most fun game I don't think for them. I think they preferred the ice dog games where everybody kind of sat down and, uh, you know, wasn't too drunk compared to this crowd where everybody's hammered and having lots of fun. So, uh, but, a, but a great atmosphere and it really is a staple, I think for the whole, you know, U sports that uh, Brock has this game that really is better than anybody else's game. That steel blade game is just a phenomenal game. Yeah. And that's kind of like a bit of an NCAA environment there. I know me and Rask, we've had those conversations and compared the OHL crowd and to a uh, NCAA crowd. And that's a little bit of a taste of that for the U sports guys there. Um, But uh, no, I know we got a bunch of fan questions and uh, we've been going long here, but we just want to uh, talk about getting into coaching. How, how exactly did you find your way into uh, the coaching world? And was it something you wanted to pursue all along? No, not really. I was over in Europe playing and I was in England actually, and they fired our coach and they came to me about being player coach for the rest of the year. And uh, I was like, okay. And it was like the first time I learned kind of how to get guys to do things. And they played this stupid British bulldog game over there and they used to tackle the imports. Like they used to just maul us. And I hated the game with a passion, you know, because you'd be last to go and then you'd have 18 Brits jumping on you. And, you know, they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And, you know, I could barely breathe at the bottom of the pile. But uh, so I learned that I would play the game at the end if they would do certain drills for me and do them properly and hard and that kind of stuff. And that's when it first kind of hit on me that I, I enjoyed it. And then, the funny thing is I come back home and a buddy of mine asked me to be an assistant coach for a midget team. And I said, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. And uh, he went away. And just before he'd gone away in the last game, he put, I don't know if he forged it, but he put a wrong name down and did something kind of illegal. So they suspended him for one year. So the organization again came to me and said, you know, you're the assistant coach. Would you mind being the head coach? And that's how it all kind of started. And, uh, and then I went to Caledon uh, as an assistant coach in, uh, with them. And then my first job was with the Colbert Cougars. And at that point, I knew this. I loved it. I, I loved hockey. So I didn't know what I was going to be. I needed hockey to extend for me. And I was lucky. I was, I think, 27, I think, when hockey finished playing in Europe. And uh, I, I, you know, really didn't know. 
if I could do much else, you know, and that kind of stuff. I was thinking about getting into the police force. I was looking at different things and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and then coaching opportunities came up for me and uh, I jumped at them and uh, I kept, I took every course. I went to Roger Nielsen's courses, every course. I loved drills and learning drills and, you know, and I was lucky. I had some friends that were pros and made their way to the NHL so I could pick their brains on their coaches and stuff like that. And uh, it just kind of blossomed for me. And, you know, the, the pinnacles with the Aurora Tigers and we won the World Bank Championship with no team in the material. I think it won like in 20 years or something like that. And we took a team out there from the Aurora team. And, and then that parlayed into Barry. Barry hired me the year later. And, uh, you know, it, it became a dream, you know, to be a full-time hockey coach it was kind of a dream job for me. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, gone kind of full circle. It's, uh, you know, I've really enjoyed it and been very fortunate, uh, you know, the people that I've met along the way that have helped me, Greg Kerrigan and guys like that. And the people up in Barrie, Mike McCann, that used to be the old GM. I think he still lives in Barrie and he's probably 90 some odd years now. And, uh, but, you know, just a great guy, tons of wisdom and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the, the whole passion for me was I love the game. I love playing the game. I love the dressing room, the banter, you know, I, I, I'm a guy that likes, likes to have fun. You know, I, you know, I play hard. I played that way. And, uh, you know, when the puck drops, but I had no issues after games, drinking beers with guys and, you know, having tons of fun and with the other team or whatever, but, you know, during the game and, you know, I'm pretty passionate. And as we saw in that five game suspension, I'm talking stuff like that. It's uh but, uh, you know, after the game, to me, the game's done. Then it's about learning and, you know, it's about having fun and just getting ready for the next game. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's kind of neat how I kind of just came full circle there, kind of landed in your lap, actually. And then like yep. years later, kind of cemented yourself as a coach GM kind of around Ontario. So, Okay, so before we wrap it up, just got a couple of fan questions for you. We actually got a lot. Um, I was surprised and, and I had to narrow it down to just a few of the good ones. Some of them were so weird, but... Um, the first one that a lot of people want to know is uh, you went to York, right, Marty? Is that right? Yep. So they want to know, what did you yep. study there? Uh, I had a major in geography and uh, a minor in business. It was, okay. uh, I, went there to play, I went there to play hockey and uh, we won a national championship in my first year, 18 rookies. And uh, wow. Dave Chambers, who will kind of be one of my favorite coaches, he'll go down as a guy that I learned a lot you know, when I look back on it at the time, you never kind of know, but there's things that he did that I continue to do um, that I always thought was, you know, really neat. Uh, Dave Chambers, it was an amazing year. Um, we were kind of a, a mid-pack team and then uh, we or we had a trip to Switzerland and we came back from Switzerland and didn't lose a game. Won right to the national championship and beat the Alberta Golden Bears 3-2 in the final. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. All right. Uh, next cool. one. When you're drafting, what kind of things go through your head? Uh, you know, I, I love competitive people. Um, you know, I love guys that don't give up. You know, that old thing about, you know, watching games right to the end, even if it's 7-1, the guys that continue to play hard or, you know, maybe show a little edge or just hate losing. You know, that's uh, – I mean, obviously the skill's got to be there and, you know, different things with skating and that. But for me, it's, you know, when I talk to the coaches and talk to that, you know, competitive people – I think are winners. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that it's, it's always, you know, when I start hearing that he's inconsistent or he doesn't show up and stuff like that, it's, uh, I like guys that play hard every night. 
Yeah. You know, Rask, Marty, Marty was actually telling me when he looks at players, he just tries to find anyone who plays any sort of like me, just replicate the <laughs> game after me, and, and they're good to go. That's it, Kurtz. That's it. <laughs> uh, well, that kind of leads into the next question, which is off-ice attributes. How, how much of that do you factor in, like their leadership or what you hear about them when it comes to trading or signing, like their attitude and leadership? How much does that uh, do you take into consideration? Well, it's, it's different, Ed, because when you draft these young guys, you don't really expect them to come in and be leaders right off the bat. It's hard in the OHL. You know, it, it, there's a pecking order and that kind of stuff. But, you know, how they carry themselves, you know, is, you know, again, I got very fortunate to watch a Brian Little right off the bat, you know. And, you know, he's a guy that just, you know, just did his job, kept his mouth shut. You know, uh, uh, BJ Crombie was our captain at that time in Barrie. And Beaner was the voice in the dressing room. And you never heard Brian say a word. And, uh, you know, but what, you know, he led by example. And then he he morphed himself into a really good leader for us and being a captain with the Barrie Colts. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, and, and, you know, being a leader is just about caring. It's about caring about the rest to your teammates and caring about whatever details are important to that organization. And, uh, you know, I, I think that goes into life skills. So it's, it's hard sometimes when you're watching minor midget hockey to know if a kid's going to be a good leader or not, but you know, you know, if they do well in school and they're, you know, they're, they're good things are said about them, then they've got the, you know, the groundwork of, of that coming ahead for them. Yeah. And uh, we asked this one of the players, it just kind of popped in my head, but as a coach or a GM, do you have any, game day superstitions or pregame rituals you do i like to have a nap uh, <laughs> i like to have a nap in the afternoon that was one of them um not not too many um you know i i mess around with my suits and if a suit's on a winning streak and that kind of yeah. thing i i you know i i am superstitious in certain ways i kind of say i'm not but i am you know and if a tie's winning or if a suit's winning and that kind of stuff then i i keep that in the back of my mind and you know so it's just silly stuff like that yeah, we all had that going at Brock uh, with, with Carzy. Yeah, you and Carzy were all rocking the same suits while we were winning. I yeah, love that I one. A <laughs> um, couple goalies asked this. What do you look for when you're drafting a goalie or like trading for a goalie? Well, I, I never profess myself to be a goalie guy. Um, you know, as I said, you know, with Neds and, and that kind of stuff, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the ones that battle. You know, again, body language means an awful lot to me. I hate when goalies show up, players in front of them. Um, you know, and it's the same thing. I mean, if a goalie let a bad goal in, I'd be ripping a player if I saw them banging their stick or smashing their stick off the boards and that kind of stuff. So, you know, body language is, you know, a, a big thing. But, you know, I, I I think I'm a pretty easy coach on goalies because I, I always give them the benefit of the doubt that they're trying their best in there, you know, and that. So, um, we had one in Niagara that drove me nuts a little bit. Uh, yeah, Mo there, and, uh, he was always worried. <laughs> He's always worried about the shot count. I mean, we'd be down two nothing in a period. He'd come into me and be telling me that they missed three shots for him up there, and it, it would drive me nuts a little bit. But uh, other than that, I, I think I'm pretty easy on goalies. But uh, you know, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a you know. I, they talk about you know. I, I know there's NHL teams that won't draft a goalie if he's not six four or, or above. You know that kind of stuff. They want size and that. I'm not a believer in that. You know, I uh, you look at Neds and how well he's doing with. Uh, Carolina, you know, and here's a, everybody said he wasn't big enough, you know, and, uh, you know, he's a six footer, five, 11, six feet. And, uh, you know, he just competes in there and he's smart. He, he reads the game very well. So he's ahead of the game. You know, that's where Ned's is underrated is where maybe he's not underrated, but he's just, he reads the game so well that, uh, he's positionally square to everything. I mean, and yeah, you look at like Mikey DiPietro who lit up the OHL. He's not the, big, yeah. the biggest so guys like that. Um, nope. 
Two, two more. These ones are both cards. But who won the Suzuki Cardwell trade? You better watch when <laughs> you stay here, Marty. You better watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made it. I made it. So I'm all with you, cards. You know, it's okay. uh, we got uh, we got you for one more year for sure. And Suzuki's gone, so uh, we're pretty happy with the deal. And uh, you know, we were happy from day one. Cards was if you want to go back in the trade a little bit. They did not want to put cards in that deal, and it was kind of the make or break. I was not going to trade them. I was going to go in a different direction with a different team. And uh, until they put cards in it, and uh, Dave Drinkle finally came back to me and he always played poker early and I don't think he thought I was serious but uh, you know we were serious we wanted Ethan and uh, that was uh, kind of the make or break in the whole trade and uh, when cool. it finally happened uh, we kind of worked everything else so I'm hoping his head doesn't get too big me talking about him but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's good to have him as a very cold that's for sure oh yeah that. yeah my head might not fit through the door and I'm <laughs> out of here <laughs> all right uh, last one there was a couple that asked this. When is cards getting the C? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, until you don't know your team until you know them. You know, we, uh, you know, learn about every guy and have conversations with them and uh, learn about our hockey team. That's when, uh, you know, Barry will go forward picking, uh, picking a C. So, sorry, okay. cards. So you got I another month, right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I got, I just got to keep putting in the work or ask what one day. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's all for me, Cards. You got anything to say before we wrap it up? No, I think that we've kind of touched on everything and just really appreciate you coming on the pod here, Marty. It's kind of like the first kind of coach GM we've had on, just kind of give the listeners an insight on that. So I think that'll be pretty cool and they'll really enjoy that. You guys are a lot of fun. Usually the interviews are pretty uh, boring for me, but this has been a lot of fun. So uh, you guys are doing a great job and, uh, and thank you so much for having me on. All right. And thanks to Marty for that. Um, Good to catch up with him. I know we were talking. Uh, he was running my phone call the other day when the league shut down. But uh, now it sounds like he's pretty optimistic about next season starting on time for the OHL. And it was pretty cool to get some insight from a coach's standpoint and a GM where we haven't really had that. We've only had players on here before. What do you think? Yeah, I love Marty. Um, he was telling me, uh, since you mentioned the Zoom call thing, that you were just clowning up the very cold Zoom call, talking about the pod, getting the boys fired up. So um that's funny I mean you're always pushing it so you gotta love that but no it was a good interview I mean I think the listeners are gonna enjoy that side of it and and if you want to check out the the clip I'm gonna make a clip of his coach freak out we the one we brought up like that thing is insane for the listeners who haven't seen the video like check out the Instagram the Twitter we're gonna post that and it is like a legendary um freak out so it's really funny but no just a pleasure to have him on like Marty's an awesome guy and yeah, no. Um, yeah, I was laughing when Marty said I was making some jokes in the in the call. I was just ripping a few boys about their quarantine hair and stuff. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm fortunate enough, mine's not looking too bad uh, lately. Got it cut before we went into this lockdown. But actually, few- we got a, an inside look at. I think for the first time on the podcast, you without a hat on for a bit during these interviews. I don't know if you noticed that, but I did. Yeah, I know. I I blow dried my hair. Uh, during the interviews yesterday. So I figured I'd, I'd take the hat off and maybe if we had a clip, kind of show off the locks a bit. It's looking but, good, man. Yeah, no, like I, I can't complain right now. So, I mean, I, I felt like I'd take the opportunity to chirp yeah. a few of the other guys who maybe haven't had the luxury of a haircut lately. Better than Zook's hair for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I bet it looks good out of the Bucky. So, I mean, uh, to each his own with uh, Zook's hair there. But uh, with that being said, I think that pretty much does it for this episode. Um, if you're still here, I know it's been a long one, so 
thanks for sticking around. And we definitely got a good interview next week from, uh, from a guy, real hard worker. So a lot of good insight coming there. Just a guy who likes to eat pulse, just an all around animal. So stay tuned for that one and uh, enjoy your week.